0: Wow, fantastic. I, I always think when we sing that song a thousand times I've failed, that it's not nearly enough times. Uh, I, I think probably it may be a thousand times in a week, don't you think? Or a thousand times, certainly in a lifetime. And the longer you live, the more failure you experience, the more you let yourself and other people down. And I'm not saying that to be bleak. It's just the subject I'm going to be speaking on today. is David, a man after God's own heart, failure so i want to talk about the time that david failed the biggest and the worst and uh so how is your heart when you get it wrong how is your heart when you are wrong that's what i want to talk about today that moment of david's greatest failure and so far in this series david a man after God's own heart, we followed the story of a man who hardly ever got it wrong. (laughs) It seems like everything he touched turned to gold. Everything he did was right. He was largely successful in all that he did. And that was until we come to 2 Samuel 11 and 12. If you want to turn to that, this is where he made his biggest mistake, which turned out to be his greatest failure, uh, a decision with tragic consequences for him and his family especially. And so what I want to do is to take you through this story and draw out some lessons as we go along. And I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to just come and be with us, come and speak to us, because I believe there's some real freedom for people today. I I completely echo what Paul said. Uh, there's There's a freedom spirit because where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom and his spirit is here amongst us so holy spirit will you just come and tangibly make yourself known to us today father will you just fall on us will you speak to us and we change us from the inside out thank you father it's not about external conformity it's about internal transformation father come and bring the spirit of revelation to bring freedom To us today a holy spirit anoint us as we sit under your word this morning anoint us in jesus name
1: thank you father amen i don't know why this was the time that it all went wrong for david there are no clues really because up until
0: this point it had all gone so well the ark was back in their hands, 2 Samuel 6, David had just won all his battles and it says that God gave him rest from all his enemies. That's 2 Samuel 7. And he was living with incredible favor and is commended in the biblical account. It says that all that he did was just and right. That's 2 Samuel eight 15. Wouldn't you love to have that said over you? All that he did was just and right. But then one day, For some inexplicable reason, David decides not to go to work. (laughs) David pulls a sickie. 2 Samuel 11, 1, it says that in the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged
1: Rabbah. But David remained
0: in Jerusalem. All the other kings had gone to work, doing their thing, fighting other kings, but David stayed at home, sending Joab instead to do what he should have done, destroying and besieging, because that's kind of what they did. That's what they did so well, David and his men and especially when their people, their own people, were under threat. Israel needed defending, but David didn't go.
1: He didn't want to play soldiers anymore. <laughs> Was he
0: sick? No. Was he depressed? Perhaps. He just tried to do the right thing with Hanum in chapter 10, and it had blown up in his face. Ever? Anybody? Ever experience that? You're trying to do the right thing, and it just blows up, In your face. Perhaps he was just fed up with fighting all the time. Perhaps he was tired of conflict, fed up with the responsibility of leading others, weary of always trying to do the right thing and it not quite working out as it should. Or or maybe he was taking a well being break, you know, a bit of me time, some time away from it all. I don't know why David didn't go to work that day, but he was alone. In Jerusalem, away from his men, away from the battle, away from God, because even the ark that he fought so hard to get back into the center of everything was with his men and not with David. 2 Samuel 11:11. 11, 11. Guys, David should have gone to work that day.
1: He should have gone to work that day and done what
0: he should have done. Staying at home made him vulnerable and a sitting target for temptation. Because withdrawing from others is almost never the right thing to do. You know, we need to be careful of those decisions of disconnection because it just seems easier. You know, watch out, especially when your me time becomes extended and there's no room for being questioned by others. Are you sure you don't need to come back? Are you sure you don't need to be with some people right now? Be careful when you can't be challenged in your me time. Because we too are vulnerable in those times. And we can so easily find ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing and a catalogue of wrong decisions. Which is where David found himself. In, chat, in verses 2 to 5, this is the place, the moment when he made his biggest mistake. Verse
1: 2. One evening, David got up
0: from his bed, which is presumably where he'd been all day. And he walked around on the roof of the palace while it was nice and cool in the evening. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing. And the woman was very beautiful. So David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, She's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. didn't make any difference to David. He sent a messenger to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David saying,
1: I'm pregnant. So this is
0: David, the king, standing on the roof of the palace, surveying all that he owns. But he should never have been there. He should have gone to work that day but he spots a woman washing, and instead of doing the right thing and making the first look, the look which tells you where not to look, the second time, David stops, looks, leans in a little closer. Bathsheba
1: was very beautiful. Now, I've read some
0: terrible things about this woman and how she's been viewed, especially by men over the years. Seeking, I think, to rid themselves of blame. Looking to shift responsibility. So why was this woman bathing in full view of the palace like this? Surely this was a deliberate attempt to seduce this righteous king. It was about the way that she was dressed or not dressed. She was out to catch him, to entrap him. She was somebody she was somebody out to seduce the king and so many have sought to make it the fault of the woman not the man or at least for her to blame to share some of the blame for david's sin but guys this is a complete misreading of this of the text Now, the Bible puts the blame squarely on David's shoulders. This is not a story of a manipulating seductress out to catch a rich and powerful man. Rather, it's a story of a king filled with lust and who abused his position of power, taking advantage of a beautiful woman when her husband was out of town. So let me just be clear. The sin was not in Bathsheba's bathing, but in David's looking and lusting, which led to him taking. Verse 4 says that David sent messengers to get her. Literally, the word is to take her. And some think that that word has a deliberately double meaning. He sent and then he took, meaning
1: that she had no choice. Today, we might call what happened to Bathsheba rape. But the Bible doesn't use that word,
0: which may be uh, due to the fact that rape was defined in a very different way in the Old Testament. According to the law of Moses, rape was only rape if the victim was a virgin, was forced down and vocally protested and there's nothing to suggest that David forced himself on Bathsheba or that she vocally protested and she wasn't a virgin but at the same time i don't think bathsheba would have felt she had many options the king's power and authority made it impossible for her to resist or protest and so inevitably the next message that sent to david
1: i'm pregnant and it was definitely
0: david's because her husband was away and she just finished her period which is what that detail that detail is about there in verse four so the ball was in david's court what was he going to do you know by law she should have been stoned for adultery
1: and so should he but who would believe her
0: What then transpires seems like a grave to cover her shame. But actually, it's a shocking descent into the moral depravity of deceit and cover-up on David's part. David seeks to entrap, and if there's any entrapping and manipulating, it's David's. And he seeks to entrap and manipulate Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. So rather than come clean and just say what he's done, in verses 6 to 13, I'm not going to read it to you, you can read it yourself, but basically David makes a series of attempts to manipulate the situation, which involved bringing Uriah home from battle that night so that he'd have sex with his wife, so that when the pregnancy finally begins to show, he'll think the child is his. Hooray! But Uriah refuses to comply, saying, why should I make myself comfortable at home with my wife when my men are out fighting for their lives? Which, by the way, David, that's what you should be doing. Why should I be doing that when they're sleeping in the open fields? So David tries to get him drunk instead. To get him in the mood.
1: But he still won't do what David
0: wants or needs him to do. So David, the king, resorts to an abuse of his position of power again and sends an order to Joab, the captain of David's army, which will result in creating the circumstances for Uriah to be killed. Battle. Verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he'll be struck down and die. For goodness sake, it's not even subtle, is it? So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died murder it was murder
1: look at david i mean look at him lust
0: adultery bearing false witness now murder that's four commandments broken already david what are you doing you know how his heart must have become hardened so so determined was he to cover up his sin. How intoxicated he'd become with his own power. How self-justified he must have become to keep up the charade. What might have started with covering Bathsheba's shame has become something else on another scale.
1: But friends, this is where unconfessed sin can lead you. Secret sin can consume
0: you. Pride can compel you. The longer you hide your sin, the more you cover it up, the more lies you tell. The harder your heart becomes, and the harder it is to repent, to own up for
1: your sin. Too many people were now involved. It wasn't just Uriah
0: and Bathsheba. Uriah murdered, and several other men were murdered along with him. Murdered. You know, David is at this point a serial
1: killer, a serial murderer. I mean, can
0: we even remember what we saw in this guy? (laughs) Why he ever kept that title that the Bible gave him of a man after God's own heart, more like he should have been called David a man with hardness of heart and you think well surely now david will stop his his conscience must be shouting i mean it's hard isn't it when you do something wrong your conscience you battle with it it must have been shouting at him day and night surely now this time he'll cry out to god and beg for mercy and forgiveness
1: the messenger finishes
0: His report from the front, he's been sent by Joab and and tells David about Uriah and the man who died. And this is how David responds. Verse 25, David told the messenger, say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. Oh, my goodness. I mean, David completely minimizes the situation. He says, oh, well, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. Whatever will be, will be. It is what it is. Don't worry. Tell Joab you just did your job.
1: Be encouraged.
0: You know, if you had any doubt at this point about the condition of David's heart, there it is laid out. He's minimized the death of his men because he's minimized the seriousness of his sin. He's justifying himself. He's created a story that makes this okay.
1: Oh, David, wake up. What's
0: happened to your conscience? Where is your heart right now? James tells us, doesn't he, in the New Testament that full-grown sin leads to death. Full-grown sin, and it's literal when it comes to David. Full-grown sin leads to death. Paul tells us that the conscience becomes seared when it's ignored, as with a hot iron, making it hardened and unresponsive. Hebrews tells us of a point where we continue in sin to such an extent that it's impossible to come back from that place and repent. Have you noticed that? That warning. Timothy is warned about two men who had become so hardened in their sin that they
1: shipwrecked their faith. Now, guys, none of this happens overnight.
0: It's a serious decision or a series of decisions to override your conscience. And you need to make that decision. Time and time again.
1: It's a process of
0: continuing self-deception and cover-up that leads to that dark place. You know, we may not be kings. uh, We may not have this kind of royal authority to decide between life and death for for, for people but we can still use the power of personality or position to control what others think or say about us. It's image manipulation. Seen any politics recently?
1: It's living a lie, a facade. It's it's a terrible, desperate place to be.
0: Now, I can't say... That I've ever got to that place myself, although I think I got pretty close once many years ago, I know this because I kept sinning in one area to such an extent that I didn't feel bad about it anymore anybody I didn't feel bad about it. I got used to it. it kind of crept up on me I don't know how it happened, but it did, and then exactly and again, I don't know exactly how this happened, but one day. I suddenly realized the danger that I was in. Suddenly realized it. I had this thought that I was about to go too far. That if I carried on, there was no guarantee that I would ever be able to come back. That I was becoming hardened to such an extent that I'd no longer have the ability within myself to be sorry anymore. Or to ask for forgiveness again.
1: It shocked me. And the fear of God came upon me and that's what pulled me back. Oh Lord, soften my heart. Don't let us become too comfortable with our sin.
0: Do you need to pray something like that? You know, are you in danger like that? You, you you look back over your life and you think, oh my goodness, yeah, he's right. There, there's a kind of a, a hardness that's creeping in. I don't feel as bad as
1: I used to. Just take a moment to, to just come before God right now. This is serious stuff we're talking about this morning. Father, soften my heart.
0: David thinks he's got away with it. Verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. 27, after the time of mourning was over, David had brought her to his house and she became his wife and she bore him in son. What a good man he was. He looked out for her. He protected her. He brought her in, took responsibility. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. (laughs) Displeased the Lord. You see, you never get away with it. You don't. You never get away with it because God always knows and nothing we do is ever hidden from him. In chapter 11, we've just seen David the king sending using his royal authority to do what he wants, to get what he wants. He sent Joab so he didn't have to go to work. He sent for Bathsheba and took her. He sent a message to Joab and got Uriah killed. But now David's sending messages are over because Bathsheba says, I'm pregnant. That message changes everything. So God now does some sending. Chapter 12, God sends Nathan God the king of kings does his own royal sending in chapter 12 verse 1 it says that god sent Nathan who has no introduction we don't know who he is or where he's come from god sent Nathan all we know is that he's a prophet from god to the to david the former shepherd to tell him a story a parable about sheep to speak right into David's hardened heart. And I'm going to read that story to you because it's fantastic. It says here in chapter 12, verse 1, there were two men, here's the story, in a certain town, David, One rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had brought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. But instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. And David got it straight away. He was a shepherd after all. He knew the wrongness of this. God spoke his language so that he understood This was wrong. And he brimmed over with justice and retribution on behalf of this poor man. Verse 5. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Even the worst of sinners can see the failings of others and feel free to point the finger at them in judgment. (laughs) It's easy to see somebody else's faults, especially if it means that you don't have to deal with your own. (laughs) You know, David's judgment here may be right, but in the circumstances, he's a hypocrite. Somebody once said, when you point the finger, beware because three fingers are pointing back at you. (laughs) Nailed. Nathan times it beautifully when he turns to David at the height of his holier-than-thou saying and says, you,
1: David, you are that man. The man that you've just condemned, it's you.
0: And I just want to read to you the rest of what Nathan says as he prophesies over David without comment, really. Verse 7. This is
1: what the Lord God of Israel said. David, I anointed you
0: king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. He will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret. But I will do this thing in broad daylight
1: before all Israel. Wow. David can't help but see, I mean, he's nailed. And in that moment, he he tumbles to his
0: knees and his true character returns. He does something that Saul never did. And immediately, without excuse or any self-justification, confesses his sin. He says, I've sinned against the Lord.
1: I've sinned against the Lord. You've got me.
0: Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. Wow. The Lord has taken away your sin and you're not going to die because that's what he deserved. Everyone that's ever sinned deserves to die. That's what the Bible says. You're not going to die. But because by doing this you've shown utter
1: contempt for the Lord, there's going to be consequences. The son born to you will die. David's forgiven
0: by the Lord but he and his family still have to live with the consequences of what he's done. And we'll look at some of those consequences next week and the fallout in David's own family. But this is something that people often overlook that, although we're forgiven, you know, we're, we're truly cleansed so that God will never use his sin against us, we have still damaged our lives or the lives of those around us. And we will still have to live with some of the consequences
1: of what we've done.
0: You know, the murderer may be forgiven, but he still has to go to prison and be isolated from society. The sexual predator may be forgiven, but is no longer allowed to associate with his children. The thief loses the right to positions of trust and responsibility. The church leader who falls never gets back the spiritual authority they once had. And some relationships are never restored again, and so on. You know, we are scandalously forgiven by God. I hope you felt some of my indignation as I've talked about David, the hero of the Old Testament. It's scandalous, the
1: forgiveness of God. But sin always has consequences. Whether in secret or not, if
0: we refuse to deal with it and try to cover it up, you know, I love David's immediate confession, but why did he allow it to go so far? And for me, it's always that nagging question would
1: he have ever confessed if he hadn't been caught?
0: <laughs> if he hadn't been found out? You know, if, if he thought he was going to get away with it? But, you know, how many of us could have said the same? Be honest.
1: God's grace is that he doesn't get away with
0: it, but he may still have to live with the consequences. Here was God's assessment of David's sin. Somebody wrote this list out, which I thought was really helpful. First of all, there's the conviction in in, in what God says. You've killed Uriah the Hittite with your sword. Consequence. The sword will never depart from your family. Direct link. Conviction. You've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Consequence. I will raise up an adversity against you from your own house. Secret sin will now lead to open shame. Confession. I've sinned against the Lord. Comfort. The Lord has put away your sin. You will not die. (laughs) You know, the grace of God is staggering that we don't get what we deserve. Repentance is a gift from God that leads us to repentance. God made it possible for David to confess his sins so that he could be restored and set free from the burden of the guilt he was undoubtedly carrying. Read Psalm 51. It tells you all about it. But we still have to live with the consequences of our actions. Forgiveness doesn't protect us from this. Incredibly, though, David still retains his title as a man after God's own heart. And all the promises that God made to his family, which Becky talked about a couple of weeks ago, all because of his scandalous grace. I love that
1: phrase. His grace is scandalous. David's confession of sin is what made this possible in a way that was never possible for Saul who was consumed with narcissistic pride. So back to the original question how is your heart When you get it wrong, when you are wrong. Now, we
0: don't know why David refused to go to work that day and disconnected from everybody around him, which gave rise to an opportunity for sin, which led to a whole series of terrible decisions and outcomes. So beware of disconnection. Watch out for things that separate you. Be careful about long periods of isolation, because, you know, we need each other. We need each other. Church, we are an interdependent body. We need each other. Sheep, we don't do well on our own. We go off in all kinds of directions. You know, this pandemic has been characterized by fear and disconnection.
1: So make the most of the time that we
0: now have to reconnect with others. Make yourself available for reconnection. Make yourself available for it. Be open about your fears as you come together. Don't stay at home alone because of fear
1: or anything else. Also,
0: there's a warning in this message today for us to deal with our sin. You know, if if you're caught in a trap, then let the warnings
1: of David's story and the consequences stop you in your tracks.
0: Because there's no such thing as sinning without consequences. The impact on your own life, your marriage, if you're married, your family, even the church will be felt. Get out before it gets worse.
1: Plead with you. Receive grace.
0: God is so gracious even when we make a complete mess of things. David's humility when he was faced up with his sin paved the way for redemption in quite a remarkable way. You know, it never ceases to amaze me that the promises of God for David, a man after God's own heart, were fulfilled ultimately through Bathsheba's son, Solomon. (laughs) That is incredible. He sat on the throne after David. Not any of his legitimate sons, if you like, but He was a legitimate son, but he came afterwards. Not David's original sons, but the one that came through Bathsheba. And so that's redemption and grace sown into the lineage of Jesus right back from
1: the beginning. Wonderful. So I'm just going to close
0: there and I just want to pray for you. Can we just stand together? This is a serious moment, I believe, and I know that not everybody's here today. So let's just put your hands out and say, Lord, search me, O God. That's what David prayed. That was one of the things he prayed. Search me, O God. And test my heart today. I think we need to pray that regularly.
1: Lord, search me. Tell me if there's any wicked way in me. Father, I want to bring before you my heart. Father, don't let there be any hardness there.
0: Father, soften my heart, please, by your Holy Spirit. Pour out the oil of love and soften my heart. Thank you for the scandal of your
1: grace. And Father, will you help to reconnect me? In all kinds of ways, that I need reconnecting right now, if that's you. Father, I want to trust my reconnection to you. Help me to share my heart with other people. Help me to reconnect at heart level. And the Bible says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we confess our sin to you. A thousand times I've failed. Failed is a nice word. (laughs) This is more than failure, Lord. This is moral sin. And I just pray, Father, for grace to put things right where we need to put things right. Don't let us go, Father. Never let us go. Never let us go too far. Thank you, Lord i